Right. Uh, there are some sermon notes in your uh, bulletins. If you need those, you could raise your hand, and I'm sure uh, Usher will get to you uh, with those notes. That'll be good. Um, heard a story about a guy named Herman and his wife Henrietta, and they were buying a new house, and uh, the house was paid for by Henrietta's money. She had a lot of money, and she liked to remind her husband Herman how much money she had. So they bought this house, and then they were walking through it after closing, and they're looking at all the different rooms. And as they went into the room, Henrietta would say to Herman, the reason that we have this house, the reason that we're here, is because of my money. So they're walking the rooms, and then the furniture truck pulls up. And they're, lo- they're putting all this beautiful furniture and these decorations into the house. And as they're looking at their furniture, Henrietta says to Herman, the reason we have this beautiful furniture, the reason it's here, is because of my money. And uh, so look at all this stuff. Herman's just silent. He doesn't say a word. And then the last piece arrives. And it's this combination TV, computer, stereo. It's like all wrapped into one. Right at the focal point in the living room. And they put that thing in there. And they're just looking at it. And they're, and they're just in awe of it. And Henrietta says, the reason we've got that, the reason that's here is because of my money. And Herman says, Henrietta, hate to break it to you, but if it wasn't for your money, I wouldn't be here. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, any of you felt like that? But that wouldn't be the right question to ask. No, <laughs> that wouldn't be the right question. Uh, this morning we're talking about money. Uh, I at least want to tackle this topic at least once a year to make sure we talk about money because it's something that we think about a lot. It's something that we fight about a lot. It's something that matters to us. And it's something that the Bible says a lot about. And with all these passages on money, we might as well look at what the Bible says so we can handle it well, so we can view it in the right way, and so we can praise God with how we handle our finances. So if you would, turn to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at that uh, today. There's a Bible in the uh, pew in front of you. We're going to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And that is, uh, if you're in a blue Bible from your pew, that's page 841. 1 Timothy 6 has that famous passage that talks about the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil. But we're not looking at that this morning. We're looking at a different passage in 1 Timothy 6. One of the final things Paul writes to uh, his protege, Timothy, So we're in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Paul writes, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Just a few verses this morning we're looking at. Now, you'll notice right away, this is a command. This is not not Paul saying, it'd be a good idea if. He's saying, no, no, Timothy, when when you preach to the church, I want you to command them. Command those that are rich in this present world. Literally, that says, 
command those that are rich in this present age. Because later he's going to talk about the age to come. So people that are rich in this age ought not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now, um, it might help right now to say, well, who's he talking to? Who are these rich people that he's referring to? It, it, it's, the, it's the classic, you know, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? You know, is Paul writing this to me or is he writing this to the people that live in Beverly Hills? You know, I mean, who is he talking to? I I just want to give a little bit of perspective just for a second on perhaps our richness, even in tough economic times. A few statistics for you. Did you know that nearly half the world, over three billion people live on less than two dollars and fifty cents a day? Over 3 billion people. Less than $2.50. Every day, 26,500 to 30,000 children die due to poverty. 18 children dying every minute. A child every three seconds. By the time I'm done preaching, that's over 630 children. About 1.1 billion people living in developing countries have inadequate access to water. About 2.2 million children die each year from not being immunized. About 1.6 billion people, about a quarter of all humanity, live without electricity. Over 11 million children die each year from preventable causes like malaria, diarrhea, and pneumonia. The poorest 40% of the world's population, the poorest 40%, accounts for 5% of the global income. The richest 20% of our population in the world accounts for 75% of the world income. Uh, I don't read those numbers to make us feel guilty. That's, the point is not so that we can all walk out under a big guilt trip. But just to answer the question, who's the rich? Who's the rich? Is it the majority of people that don't have access to clean drinking water? And, and, and we have more access than we could ever hope for? I think I read somewhere once that the average person in the world lives on like 10 liters of water you know, a day. And, and we, you know, we take a shower and it's like 100 liters just for the shower. Um, I'm quoting off the top of my head. I don't know if that, that's the exact number or not. But it's just astounding what we have in this country, even for those who don't have a lot. We still have a lot. And so I know that as I'm talking to the rich, I just want to make sure that we're really inclusive in what rich means. Because I realize there are people, I'm sure, that are sitting here that do say, well, I don't have what I need and things aren't coming together and I don't know where I'm going to be living next month because I don't have the money to pay the bills. I I know there's dire, difficult needs here. So don't think I'm trying to single you out and tell you that you're rich anyway, okay? But, um, But I am speaking to those that say, I've got what I need. I have the food that I need. I have the water that I need. I have shelter. I have clothing. I have education." But I don't feel rich because I don't live in a mansion. You know? This is talking to you, my friend. It's talking to me. I don't, go, I don't think of myself as rich 
But when I compare myself to the standard of living of the rest of the world, I feel rich. I really do. And so I read this passage and say, yeah, it is talking to me. It is talking to me. And I think for a lot of you, it's talking to you too. Command those that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. So he's talking about hope. We've been singing a lot about hope this morning. All of our hope is in you, in one of the songs we sang. Um, and I want, to pa- I want to borrow Pastor Brian Thorstadt's definition of hope. I don't know if he came up with this, but I love it. It's in your bulletin notes. Hope is joy borrowed from the future. I love that. I wrote that down the first time I heard him say it, and, and I love it. It's a great definition. Hope is a future-oriented thing. And, and we get joy from what we know is going to happen in the future. There are things that God says is going to happen. Uh, the verse I've given you in your bulletin is out of Romans 8. We read it this morning during worship, the worship time. Romans 8.24 says, For in this hope we're saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what he already has? So, so hope, is not like, hope is not like what we expect from the Packers next season, right? I mean, we might even have confidence in them because they're a good team. But that's not hope, okay? I mean, that's not the hope. That's not biblical hope. There's a worldly hope that says, I wish this would happen, or I think there's a decent chance of this happening. No, biblical hope is, I know this will happen. There's not a doubt in my mind, even though I can't prove it, even though I can't tell you for, I mean, I can tell you, but I can't prove it to you that this is going to happen in the future. I'm going to heaven when I die. I can't prove that to you, but I know I'm certain of it. That is hope. That's what real hope is. So uh, what Paul's telling Timothy is that, that when it comes to people who have more than what they need, the rich, it's very tempting for your hope to be impacted by money. It's very tempting to let money influence the way that you hope. Now, what I intend to do is just expose that. How does wealth impact hope in our life? How can we avoid this? How can we view money in, in a light that says, I don't want it to affect my hope in God? That's where I place my trust and my confidence and my joy for the future, not in money. Okay? So, um, a few things. First of all, number one, I'd say, and this is in your notes, wealth tempts us to doubt God's providence. Wealth tempts us to doubt God's providence. He says, uh, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is the great provider. But wealth tempts me and it tempts you to say, I'm going to provide for my future. How do you know you're going to have enough when you're 50 or 60 or 70 or 80? How do you know you'll have enough? How do you know you'll be provided for at that time? And if your primary answer is, well, I'm saving for retirement, or um, I, I've got, I, I, I have these IRAs, and everything's okay. Everything's all right. Wrong answer. That's uncertain. That's uncertain. And we have enough stories about money failing us. We have enough economic uh, trouble to know that money is unstable. Like we, we know this maybe intellectually, but deep down a lot of us are checking the savings account checking the IRAs and saying, I'm okay. I'm okay. I looked at my retirement account this morning. We're doing 
fine. And we're placing our hope in this, in this thing called money instead of God who says, pray to me for your daily bread and watch me supply it. I've always marveled at the fact that it doesn't say pray for your yearly bread, you know, or pray for the bread when you're 60 or 70. It says pray this day, give us this day our daily bread. That's kind of convicting. I mean, God, do you want me to go about my day as if each day I'm looking to you for what I need? What what a crazy idea. Because I want to know that it's going to be there tomorrow. I want to make sure. And I'm not saying get rid of your savings accounts and, and, and wipe them clean. I'm not saying that. I'm saying where are you placing your hope? What is your hope based on? Are you a Henrietta that says, this house is here because of my money. This furniture is here because of my money. We're okay because of my money. Because do you know if you're going to have health in five years from now? Do you know how much strength you'll have? How much intelligence you'll have in 20 years? I mean, we're all on our way out of here. We know this. We make jokes about it. We're all on our way to the grave and then into paradise for those that have trusted Christ. Do you know what it's going to be like in 10 years? So either you place your hope in money or you place your hope in God who richly provides us with everything that we need for our enjoyment. He is the provider, not money. That's a secondary source, primary source, God. Just like doctors, secondary source of health, primary source, God. We, we know this intellectually, but sometimes we're tempted, contrary to what we know to be true. Secondly then, wealth tempts us to act differently than God's grace. Wealth tempts us to act differently than God's grace. So again, if we look at our passage Uh, We look at this and it says, uh, we put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Then he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. So um, he's connecting God's providence. If God is richly providing everything you need, salvation, your daily bread, what you need to get by in this world, if he's providing for you, then you ought to provide for others as graciously as God has provided for you. See, we get we, we kind of understand God's grace. You know, I don't deserve to be saved, but He saved me. Nothing that I did could earn that. But when it comes to money, we look at our paycheck and we say, it doesn't say Jesus Christ is the signer on that thing. So I did that, right? I earned that, right? And it kind of messes us up. And we become primarily consumed with taking, getting, saving, then giving. And God's a giver. That's who he is. That's in his nature. He's a giver. There was a barber once who wanted to bless some of his customers. It just kind of hit him one week. And so the police officer came in and the barber said to him, I really appreciate you keeping our streets safe. I appreciate you going to the schools and talking to our youth. You're a, you're a great guy in this community, giving you a free haircut. So he cuts the policeman's hair. The next morning, the police officer sends a dozen donuts to thank the barber. I know, it's stereotypical, right? Um, it was a very fit police officer. It was. Um, <laughs> the next day, the florist came in. And the barber said to the florist, I know that you plant trees and shrubs and flowers around town at 
at no cost to the city. I want to bless you and give you a free haircut today. The florist said, thank you. And the next day, the barber showed up at his shop, unlocked the door, and there's these flowers waiting for him right there. Beautiful arrangement from the florist. The next day, the pastor came in, preacher. He got a haircut. And uh, the barber said to him, you know what? You've done so much good for this community. I've seen you minister to families. I've seen you be there for those that are lonely. Uh, you were a great pillar of this community. I'm cutting your hair for free today. Preacher says, thank you. The next day, the barber shows up, and there's a dozen preachers waiting for their haircut. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I was talking to, uh, on Friday, the woman that uh, is working on our adoption. We're adopting from Uganda, for those that don't know, and, and we have a referral of a little girl. Um, we're, we're thrilled about that. And uh, I was talking to this, the, the woman. She came from Appleton to update our home since we moved. And I was telling her the help we got from this church, you know, the people that moved us and some of the things we're doing. And, and she just says, your church really loves you and, and, and they're so supportive of you. And, they, and she says, I, I, it's good to be a pastor, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm never going to speak ill of being in the pastor. I love it. You know, so I said, yeah, there, there's a lot of blessings being involved in the church. And, uh, and I thought, I wonder how much of my life I see as somehow me deserving help and me receiving it. And, but am I as equally concerned with giving it? You know, am I the first one to show up if someone else is moving and it's not me? You know what I mean? I don't want to be just a taker. I want to be a giver because that's the grace of God. You say, why are some people in the world that are so immoral, so well off? Why is it some of the strongest people in the world are so well off? Well, obviously God is gracious to even his enemies, which of course is our task as well to be gracious and love our enemies. God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, Jesus says. So if God deals with me that graciously and deals with the world in some incredibly gracious ways, who am I to say, I'm not going to help you. You, need to, you, know, you just need to figure that out on your own. I mean, no, no, we need to be gracious. And we need to say, if I have more than what I need, how can I help those that don't have what they need? And so maybe that means you sponsor a, a child from Compassion International or World Vision. Maybe you get a child and you, and you support that child. Maybe you pick up a cause that's helping people in the world in poverty. But that you do something other than being primarily about receiving. That's what we're called to do. Uh, look at it this way. Let me read Ephesians 2.6 for you. Because uh, the, our verse today says, that God has richly provided us with all that we need. I want you to listen for the word riches in this passage. Ephesians 2.6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed to us in His kindness in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see the connection there? 
So God has given you incomparable riches in Christ. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works. And then he says, so you're God's workmanship. Creating Christ is to do good works. Same thing Paul says here. God has richly provided all that you need, everything for your enjoyment. And then he says, command them to do good, verse 18, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. If you have more than what you need, the reason you have more than what you need is to help those who don't have what they need. That's why God has given it to you. So I'm not giving you a percentage of what you're supposed to give away. I'm just telling us, if we put our hope in God, the gracious God, we will give to those in need. Thirdly, thirdly, wealth tempts us to disregard God's eternal rewards. Wealth tempts us to disregard God's eternal rewards. If you look at verse 19 with me, it says, so if we do give away our wealth, it says, in this way we'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The fact of it is, there may be some great reversals in heaven. People that are rich in this age, according to verse 17, those that are rich in this present world, this present age, that's literally how it reads in the Greek, may not be rich in the coming age. They may not be. There's a false story, but it's really fun about a guy showing up in heaven. And of course, Peter's there giving him the tour. And Peter says, I want to let you know how it works here. I want to tell you what your reward is. Whatever you want, whatever you get for transportation in heaven is based on how you act on earth and the good that you did on earth. That's your transportation. And so it really, it really bothered the guy at first, you know, because at first he saw people driving by in Mercedes and he's like, man, that's crazy. How do I get a Mercedes? And, and Peter said, well, that guy, we had a lot to work with with that guy. He did a lot of good. So he's getting the Mercedes. And he says, well, what do I get? He says, well, you get a scooter. Okay, motor scooter. So at first the guy's zipping around, kind of sad. You know, I only got a scooter. I didn't do that much good. But then the day came, Peter saw the guy zipping around in a scooter with a big smile on his face. And Peter says, I guess you're getting used to this, right? I mean, you're getting used to the scooter. And he's like, I've been doing great ever since I saw my boss come by on a skateboard. <laughs> doing good. Doing good. <laughs> but you know what? I, I tell that story to say, we don't know what the rewards exactly are, do we? And I'm not suggesting that they're actually cars. This, this is not the price is right, okay? Um, <laughs> please. Uh, this is not extreme makeover home edition, you know? Uh, we're trying to find the worthy family that we're going to, you know. But I, I, don't, I don't know what all those rewards look like. Because the Bible doesn't tell me. I mean, the way it says it here is, they're going to lay themselves a firm foundation. So I'm thinking like a foundation of a house, you know? If you want a good foundation for that, who, who wants a, a bad foundation in your house today? Who wants to live in that? I'm sure that causes a lot of peace of mind, you know? Um, so, so if you want a firm foundation in the next life, which of course, this life is like a blip on the radar, your house that you have right now, regardless of what kind of foundation it has, you're going to have that house for like a blip on the radar, radar screen 
the sweep of eternity is based on what you do in this life. How generous are you with your money? How much help do you give people? Northwood share being a great example. I didn't plan that. It just happened to be today. You know, just happened. Um, but, but whatever you do with your time, however you help, whatever good works that you do, God's going to reward you, it says here. How you use your money, he's going to reward you for it. And he, he compares it to a firm foundation in the coming age. And then he says something even more startling, at least to me. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So somehow my identity as a Christian, I mean, we quote John 3.16, right? Eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Paul says, you're going to take hold of life. And he links it with what we do with our money in this life. In this age. And I'm like, that kind of makes me uncomfortable a little bit, you know. Because it's saying God cares so much about how we handle our money that he links it with our identity as being Christians. You want to really live life the way God has called you to live? Then you've got to view your money as God's resources. And you're going to use them as faithfully as you can. You're going to use them as graciously as you can. Again, I'm not asking you to empty your retirement accounts, but I'm asking you, what are you doing with your money for the kingdom of God? What are you doing with it? Are you placing your hope in it so that you trust in your future because of what you have now? Or what you plan to have later? Wealth is uncertain. Wealth is uncertain. The treasure that you will get in heaven is eternal, right? Nobody can take it. I remember a professor I had in seminary. He said, um, this is a few years back, he said, I bought the very first model iPad. When they, when they first rolling off, you know, I bought it. I was so excited to have it. Went into a coffee shop, put it on a table, went to get my coffee, turned around, it's gone. It's gone. Just like that. Had the, I had the first week they were out. And within a week it's gone. Wealth is uncertain. Your house is going to have problems. Your car is not going to run forever. Unless it's a Ford. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <you're> <laughs> that's not a good thing to do, right? <laughs> um, it won't run forever no matter what kind of car you bought. It will not run forever you're going to have problems with all that you own you can't lock it up enough there are thieves out there maybe in Northwoods we don't see as much of that as in some bigger cities but we can't hold on to this as much as we'd like we don't have control over our wealth as much as we'd like so we might as well ask God to deal with our finances wisely yes you do need a savings account that's a wise thing to do but also what do we do for the kingdom of God I was once really convicted by uh, Francis Chan. He often, I don't know if you listen to Francis Chan. Uh, he's a, a pastor that speaks a lot of conferences and had a church out in California. But I heard him talking about money, and I remember him saying, you know, what happens if you give away so much that you go bankrupt or you starve to death? 
I, I like the extreme of starving. That's kind of funny to think about, you know. What if you give away so much that you literally starve to death? You show up in heaven and you say, whoops, God, I gave too much to your kingdom. Sorry, you know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But on the last day, on judgment day, am I going to be happy about my retirement account? Or am I going to be happy that I gave wealth away? What will, make, what will give me more joy at that time? That's thinking in light of eternity. That's living with hope. Okay? Now, um, I also want to say, practically speaking, um, it's often asked, you know, well, what are you supposed to give to the church? And uh, as I read the New Testament, I see that Paul tells the churches usually to set aside a portion in keeping with their income. I don't see a percentage. Old Testament's 10%. A lot of people use 10% as a guideline to give to the church. It's a fantastic guideline. But when I read the New Testament, I see that Paul says, you choose a portion and you give it. And that's our teaching here. You ask God, what is that percentage? What is that portion in keeping with my income? Is it 10? Is it 20? Is it 5? And then what do I do on top of that? Is there other people I should be supporting? Other ministries, other causes? God, what would you have me do with my money? So I just want to give you... um, What time are we at? We're right at 10 o'clock. I just want to give you a minute or two and consider your finances right now. What should you be doing to handle them wisely? What should you be doing? So close your eyes and take a minute and just ask God how you're doing and see what he might tell you. Father, give us wisdom in knowing how to handle the resources you've given us. It's not about giving you 10% or we we know that 100% of it's yours. We know that our ability to make wealth comes from you. You're the great provider. You're the giver of our health and all of our wealth and all of the blessings, all the gifts come down from the Father, we're told in the book of James chapter 1. And so... We just need wisdom to know where to invest. How do we invest for the kingdom? How much to invest for our future? We want a heart of wisdom. And we don't want to trust in what we've laid aside for ourselves. We want to trust in you. And so I pray for some radical commitments to you in the, in the area of our finances. Give us a discerning spirit, God, to know what to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now I want to address one more group of people. For those of you that are here this morning, rich or poor, but you don't know Christ, you that are spiritually poor, I want to address you just for a second. I want to read again Ephesians 2.6. I read it earlier, but this is for you. This is for you. 
It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if you're here this morning and you have not received the riches of Jesus' forgiveness, our message is that we're all sinners. We've all messed up and we all deserve judgment. None of us are perfect. But our message is that Christ died to give us the riches of forgiveness, to save us from every wrong thing we've ever done. And all we have to do is ask Him. All we got to do is commit our lives to Him. So if that's true of you this morning and you want to do that, would you all close your eyes and bow your heads right now one more time? And if that's you and you want to walk out as one of the richest people in the world, having the riches of Jesus' love and forgiveness in your life, to be His child, if you want to pray and ask for that this morning, would you look up at me and we will pray together this morning, if that's you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. So for the three of you that looked up at me, let's pray a prayer. It's, it's a simple prayer. Only matters if you really, truly believe it. You can pray it in your heart to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that I've done many, many wrong things. But I believe, Jesus, that you died on a cross to pay for every bad thing that I've done. So please forgive me. Right now, I desire to receive the riches of your salvation. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Now help me follow you all the rest of my days. Help me do good to others the way you have done good to me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing one last song together.